Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York, some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance, there's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey folks, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes where we look back at content from the earlier years of the podcast. This week, it's the best of Groundhog Day stories. We dug through our archives to find every story we could with at least some sort of connection to Groundhog Day, whether the day itself or the movie. Now, in a little bit, we're going to hear from David Crabb, but first, a story from one of our favorite storytellers and the host of our L.A. show. It's a story we first shared on the podcast back in February of 2022. Here he is now with a story we call... Groundhog Day. When I was 15 years old, my guidance counselor accidentally outed me to my father. And it was a shock to my father. I don't know how. I drew Wonder Woman so much when I was little. I listened to Xanadu so many times in a row. But it was a shock. And at that point, I was a goth kid. I was literally sitting there with, like, black fingernails and a dog collar. Like, yeah, I'm gay. Um, And my dad... He seemed to accept it, but then he didn't. I don't know if any of you have come out of had this, and I had to come out to him like again and again. It was like gay Groundhog Day. It was just this endless loop, like for two years, still gay, Dad, not changing. Now, over the years, I told my whole family, they all know that I'm gay, but there's one person that I haven't come out to, and it's my grandmother, Saucy. <laughs> Saucy's real name is Selma, but my little gay mouth morphed it into Saucy. Uh, um, <laughs> And it caught on. Everyone calls her saucy now. Um, And it's really fitting. She is a little tiny woman with uh, bright snow white hair. She has these crystal blue eyes. Uh, She wears a bunch of really sort of like floral, tropical, colorful shirts. Those polyester slacks that, you know, when she walks. And then like really comfortable, like rubber soled, like nurse's shoes, like with a thick rubber. Like you'll never get electrocuted in these fucking shoes. Um, There's a thing about saucy is that she's, 
Her mind's in a lot of places. You know, like if you go into her kitchen, she's got her advice columns, like her dear Abby that she cuts out because she arranges those on the fridge. And then she has her other station. It's her stack of Globe magazines and examiners about like Bat Boy and stuff like that. She loves those. And then at the end of her table, um, she's from uh, San Antonio, Texas, and she has a pecan tree. So then she has her shucking station where she just sort of shucks pecans all day. Um, And then she's always baking a shitload of pumpkin breads. Uh, She bakes them in these huge batches these tiny breads that she wraps and then she has a freezer in the garage dedicated just to the freezing and archiving of these pumpkin breads. Um, She defrosts them and gives them to people all the time and they're delicious but you never know like is this from 1993? Who can fucking say? It tastes delicious. So her mind is in a lot of places. I, I always remember um, there was one Christmas where she was wandering around the kitchen. She, she was making coffee and trying to keep people entertained and like, you know, refreshing crackers and cheese and pecans and pecans and pecans. And she walked to the table with this coffee and this big uh, container of sugar, meaning to lay them down. But instead, as she blathered onto us about something in the Globe magazine, she poured the entire carafe of coffee into the sugar. And at that point, my aunt leaned over and she said... I love your grandmother, but she is like a fart in a hot skillet. (laughs) Which, I don't know what it means, but if you met Saucy, you'd be like, yeah, that's right. Just kind of, like, I don't know. It's, It's like that. And I've always felt this really strong connection with my grandmother. When my dad and uh, my grandfather would go hunting, I would stare over at her house. She would let me watch the Golden Girls and then we would watch like a buttload of Quincy. She loved Quincy's back to back. And then uh, she would have her friend Polly come over. They would play Boggle and she would get hammered on spiced rum and frescas. Um, And it was just a fun time. In spite of this feeling of connection with my grandmother though, there's this thing about her in that she is... (sighs) She's like Texas racist in that sweet, charming way. There are people in in my family who are generally, they're bigoted, for real bigoted. Saucy isn't. Saucy, I always remember, like, she says things like, um, I just went to Payless Shoes and the nicest chocolate woman helped me. Which is like... Sounds like you like her, but... um, And then like four years ago, she got these new neighbors and she said, oh, David, the nicest people moved in across the street. They're Mexican. They can't help it. (laughs) Um, So so this this one trait of hers always had me sort of a little bit concerned about coming out to her. Now, a few months ago, I went home to visit and my dad and I took her to Jim's, her favorite diner where she knows all the cooks in the kitchen and they're Mexicans who work hard. She loves those hardworking Mexicans so much, she brings them uh, just a whole bag of frozen pumpkin breads. Um, and she gave the pumpkin breads to all the people and she sat down and she started telling this story. She tells this story over and over again about baby. That's this little deer that her mother found when she walked outside to use the bathroom, which always reminds me how old she is. She's going to be 90. That that was just from, you know, when mama went out in the front yard to use the bathroom. Sure. Um, <laughs> and she tripped on this little baby deer and they raised the deer and on the front porch and did it. And she goes on and on. And whenever she starts telling this story, it's one of my like go to my iPhone stories. Like when under the table, I'm like, what are people Instagramming from New York? Oh yeah, the deer. Mm-hmm. And I don't pay attention. And after this loop of telling the story over and over again, we're leaving the restaurant and she says, so David, where are you living now? And I'm like, I live in New York. I've lived in New York since 1999. And it concerns me, but I just kind of let it go. Over the the next few months, she started to get really ill and forgetful. They decided to put her in an assisted living community. And when she was there, she fell off the bed one night and she broke her back. 
she had to get a series of surgeries and then they put her in a full care facility. And when she got there, they said she had uh, Alzheimer's and was deteriorating very quickly. So my dad is telling me all of this long distance and I, I keep telling myself that I'm prepared to visit her. I've seen away from her, the horrible, terrifying Julie Christie movie that makes me sob every time. I was like, I understand Alzheimer's, I'm gonna be fine. So a couple months ago, I visit Texas and my dad says, we're gonna go to the nursing home and we drive out to Hondo, Texas, this little town, and we get there. And the first thing you see is a gate and outside of the gate, there is like a silver number pad, like from an 80s payphone. Um, written on it, 0429, like the password to get in. And even from the inside, you would be able to look through the bars and just reach and push the buttons. And I'm like, if this is the thing that keeps the people that live here inside, we're about to really deal with some special people. Do you know what I'm saying? We walk inside and my dad immediately uh, says, I have to go to the bathroom. If you just walk, it's a U-shaped hallway and follow it around. Now, I don't know if the people that design these places design them intentionally to be like increasingly harrowing like halls of horrors, <laughs> but it was like that because when I walked in, the first people I saw were the charming older women with walkers and chili pepper earrings saying, it's a beautiful morning. You know, like those women, they're all there, just happy to be alive. And then a little bit further, and there's a guy in a wheelchair, smiling, he's an eye patch. I think he winks at me, it's hard to tell. I get the feeling he is. And then uh, a little bit further, there's some people in wheelchairs, but they're not really activated. They're sort of in park, just parked against the wall. And then you hit the people that are just in gowns, sort of pacing around. And at the end of this hallway, I see Saucy. But then when I get closer to her, I realize it's not Saucy because this woman has sort of yellowed hair. She's wearing this tan shirt and she's actually in a wheelchair. And as I get close, she looks up at me and she has these twinkling blue eyes. And she just grabs for my shirt and she pulls it and she says, please get me out of here, David. I've been here since yesterday. And she'd been there for a few months at that point. And then she tells me that she needs to get home to Papa, who is my grandfather who died in 1997. So at this point, there is a Grand Prix exercise wheelchair team that literally like tears around in their wheelchairs racing and they need by. And I am struggling to A, not cry and B, figure out how to get a wheelchair out of park. And I finally get out of park and I take Saucy into her room and she starts just crying saying, please get me out of here. Please get me out of here. I need to get out of here. And right at that moment, my dad comes in and I say, dad, I have to go to the bathroom, which is code for I need to go out in the front yard and cry for just a little while alone. I tear through the hall of horrors in reverse and I get out into the front yard of this old age home and I like ugly cry, like Julianne Moore cry, like really mucusy, <laughs> like pinch face, like full on sob. And I take out my phone and I call my fiance and I want to tell him something, but I just say, hey, man, and you're going in a wheelchair, egg. and there's words in there somewhere maybe. And he lets me cry it out and he says, David, calm down, just go inside, be with Saucy, you're gonna be fine. So I hang up the phone and I walk back through. And the minute I walk into Saucy's room, my dad sees me and says, I need to use the bathroom, which I think is code. I wanna be like, just go cry in the front yard. It'll make you feel a little bit better. And he leaves. And as I'm with Saucy, she's still muttering and she's grinding this comb against her leg in her wheelchair. And you know, people talk about being in car accidents and how there's that moment of pure terror where it's like a whiteout and everything's like really calm and serene and slow motion. And I think I had that emotionally because all of a sudden I had this thought, this is the perfect time to come out to Saucy. Now hear me out. There's two options, all right? One, Saucy, I'm gay. The rest of the family knows. And I think that it's time that I tell you. And she says, you are a sinner and I can't believe you would do that. And you need to go to church and repent and get out of my room. At which point I get out of her room and then I come back in five minutes later and she says, David, it's so good to see you, honey. 
just dry erase it away. Um, <clears throat> and then option two, saucy. I think you should know I'm gay. The rest of my family knows, my dad knows. My friend from New York, who you like so much, is actually my fiance, and we're getting married next year. And she says, oh, sweetie, I love you so much. I'm so happy for you. Give me a hug. At which point, I realize that I get to give her that experience again and again and again. It's like the best gay groundhog day a woman could ever ask for, you know? So I turn and I look at her, and I approach the bed, and I sit down beside her, and I'm going to tell her. And for just a moment, it's silent. There's a man across the hall that stopped moaning. There's no sort of heartbeat emergency machine going off anywhere. It's just silent. And I look at her, and she's really grinding this comb into her leg. And as I go to speak, I realize that she's muttering. She's been saying something really quietly this whole time. And it occurs to me that at this point, Saucy is really not a vessel waiting to be filled with more information. Do you know what I mean? Like, she does not need anything else. She is not a sounding board. She needs to say something. So I take the comb and I put it down. And I take her hand and I say, Saucy, tell me about baby. And she says, oh, baby. One morning when I was six, my mama went out in the front yard and she tripped over a rock. But then she looked back and it wasn't a rock at all. It was a little baby deer. And you know, those little baby animals, once humans touch them, their parents reject them. So we knew we had to take this little baby in. So we raised this little deer on our porch and she got bigger and bigger. She was just like a little dog. I remember curling up with her in the summertime. And then when she got really, really big, she could put her head through the kitchen window and I would feed her scraps when my mama wasn't looking. Oh, it would make my mama so mad. I love that deer. And in that moment, listening to her tell that story, I thought about all the times I use it as an excuse to check my phone, and I felt really bad because in that moment, I think I could have heard her tell that story again and again in a loop forever and ever. Thank you. This is Risk. This is Steely Dan behind me now, suggesting that we do it again. And we just heard from David Crabb, who you can find at davidcrabb.net. Now, in a little bit, we're going to hear from David Crabb. But first, a story from one of our favorite storytellers and the host of our L.A. show. It's a story we first shared on the podcast back in February of 2022, here he is now with a story we call Groundhog Day. When I was 15 years old, my guidance counselor accidentally outed me to my father again and again and again and again and again and again and again in a loop forever and ever. Thank you. This is Risk. This is Steely Dan behind me now, suggesting that we do it again. And we just heard from David Crabb. Now, in a little bit, we're going to hear from David Crabb. But first, the story we call Groundhog Day. When I was 15 years old, which is this endless loop. Thank you.
is Risk. This is Steely Dan behind me now, suggesting that we do it again. And we just heard from one of our favorite storytellers. Here he is now with a story we call Groundhog Day. I see Saucy. Then put your little hand in mine. There ain't no hill or mountain we can't climb. Babe. I got you, babe. I got you, babe. This is risk. This is Sonny and Cher behind me now, suggesting that we do it again. And we just heard from David Crabb. Now, in a little bit, we're going to hear from Ned Ryerson. But first, folks, today's the day. Take a risk. There is no way that this winter is ever going to end. As long as this groundhog keeps seeing his shadow. They can't help it. I don't see any other way out. He's got to be stopped. And I have to stop him. (laughs) Watch out for that first step. It's a doozy. (laughs) 